If you have your copies of God's Word, uh, turn to Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 54. And like I was talking to Dave, if you take a good look around, these are the ones not sick this week. Now go ahead and take a good look around because these are the ones who will be sick next week, all right? And uh, hopefully that's not the case, but we'll get through this time together. And while we get through it, we will, we will assemble and worship our Lord. Picking up in verse 54 of Acts chapter 7, it starts out like this. Now when they had heard the gospel and the rebuke of Stephen, and that it was not he who opposed Moses, the law, and the temple, but it was actually the 71 members of the Sanhedrin who opposed Moses, the law, and the temple. And when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed and gazed intently into heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And Stephen said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand. This is the first time the title Son of Man has been used by anyone other than Jesus Christ. But they cried out with a loud voice and they covered their ears like all mature people do when they don't want to hear something. They covered their ears and they, and they cried out loud and they rushed at him in impulse. And they had driven him out of the city. They began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man, roughly in his 30s, by the name Saul a man who will write most of the New Testament. We know him as Paul. And they went on stoning him. And as they did, he called out the Lord, and he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then, as another stone ripped him, he fell to his knees, and he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, forgive them, they know not what they do. Do not hold the sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. He died. Saul, who we know as Paul, was in hearty agreement of putting Stephen to death. Let's ask God's blessing and we'll walk through this together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before You. We thank You for the opportunity to open Your Word. Lord, I pray that this morning we would be more in love with, with Your Son, Jesus Christ, than we are the culture that is around Him. Father, fear is the beginning of wisdom, and I pray that the maturing of our wisdom might be to love You with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Lord, we confess that if we call You Savior, then we must call You Lord. I confess my sin before my church family. I learned this morning in Sunday school that not many of us should want to be teachers because we will be judged more strictly. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Because I fail too often. May I be an example of what repentance looks like when I fail and a picture that brings glory to God when I succeed. 
These are your children. They are not mine. This is your church. I do not own it. We praise your name. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher this morning. And I pray this and I ask this in your son's precious and holy name. And if you're awake, say amen. This is part three of our look at the life of Stephen. A few weeks ago, those who cough can immediately leave. Those, I'm just joking. A couple of weeks ago, um, we looked at Stephen the man. And then two weeks ago, we looked at Stephen the message, where we went through 53 verses. And now finally today, we are going to be looking at Stephen the martyr, the first Christian to die for his faith. So with that, let us pick up where we left off. Stephen has just finished 53 verses, a message, in front of the Sanhedrin. He told them that they are the one who are opposed to Moses, God, the law, and the temple. He says, you blaspheme God by limiting His presence to this temple. You blaspheme God by limiting Him with your own theology. You are the ones who speak against Moses by not receiving the very one that Moses spoke about, who is Jesus Christ. You are stiff-necked and you are uncircumcised in your heart. Meaning, what you claim on the outside is not what is present on the inside and nowhere found in your hearts. And you break the law of God by rejecting the very one the law has pointed to. The very one the law spoke about. And with all of that being said, that's when we move into this right here. And it says this, it says this. They were infuriated. In fact, we can go ahead and highlight that. They were infuriated. I want to touch on what some other translations interpret this. If you got the King James Version, it says they were cut to the heart. The 1977, who here were alive in 1977 and rejected this version out of hand. Anyone at all? Says they were cut to the quick. And that's what we have in my, uh, the text I'm using. In the Aramaic Bible, it says that they were filled with rage. The word here, if it's literally translated from the original Koine Greek and not some transliteration into our English meaning, the word here means they were sawed in half. They were sewn asundered, if you have a, a classic King James Stephen's words, here it is, it sawed them in half, it cut them to the quick, it opened them up. Stephen's words ripped the surface off their false spirituality and exposed what was on the inside, which was uncircumcised hearts and minds. So they were opened up. Their real life was shown. And, and in this word, we see kind of a, a real life practical truth that we can jump into right here. When people are bumped, when people are hurt, or in this case, if we use this word, when people are sawed open, when they are ripped open by what they hear or what they see, let me just go a little bit further, when they are angered, when they are frustrated, that is when... What is revealed on the inside of us, that is when we see what we are made out of. People can feign spiritual, spirituality very well. 
We can be shiny and religious. We can even be members of an elite spiritual group. Here we have 71 members of the Sanhedrin. We could fast forward and say, here we have members of GRABC Baptist churches or Methodist churches or or Lutheran churches or whatever the case may be. We can be involved in members of, of elite spiritual groups. But when hurt, when bumped, when our control is touched, like we see here with the Sanhedrin, it is then that we see what is on the inside because we are sawed open. How do people respond when things are not the way they want them to be? Hmm. How do people respond when how they want things or their their control or their culture or their desire or what they believe in on a personal level is touched? Let me bring it just a little bit more home. How do we respond when our spouses treat us poorly? How do we respond when our bosses devalue you or I? When a loved one betrays us, when an occupation is not fulfilling, when our children break our hearts, when we are confronted by friends, when people seek our forgiveness, when expectations are not met, what falls out of us? When we are torn open, when we are sawed in half, here's the question, does the fruit of the Spirit fall out of us? So here's the question. What falls out of us when we are torn open? When control is lost? When things are not the way we want them or the way we think they ought to be? You know, we find out what is most true about us when we are torn open. Not when things are exactly the way we want them to be. What has fallen out of you over the last two years? What has fallen out of us? What I'm trying to show here is that the heart of man has a very difficult uh, path of improvement without the Holy Spirit. That the heart of man is the same regardless of the date, regardless of the location, regardless of the culture. In a moment, we will see what is inside of Stephen when he is torn open. And the contrast could not be greater. In fact, the contrast is seen right here. It says that Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit. They are filled with rage. The contrast could not be more clear. Both parties are about to be open. And you and I are going to have to ask ourselves one primary question in this text. Am I most like the Sanhedrin... Or am I more like Stephen, who, by the way, was very much like his Savior and, because they cannot be separated, his Lord Jesus Christ? Am I one of the 71, or am I one who is praying the same prayers as Christ? Look at the contrast here. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. The Sanhedrin is full of rage. They're full of hate. They're full of control. They are full of personal desires. They are filled with personal preference. So we see the difference here. The Sanhedrin is, if I could use a word here, they are livid. But that doesn't seem to stop Stephen. 
Because while they are gnashing their teeth at him in anger and rage, as, as rage is falling out of their torn, sawed, all cut to the quick heart, when what is really inside of them, that uncircumcised heart, is spilling out of who they are, Stephen says these next words. And let me just note, Stephen, being a Jew, raised... See, he is a Hellenistic Jew, all right, because he is one of the original seven... Uh, not deacons found in Acts chapter 6. He was likely saved during Pentecost, but he is a lifelong Jew who traveled all the way to Jerusalem from a faraway land just to worship Yahweh. He is very familiar with Judaism. He is very familiar with what blaspheme is in Judaism. And so Stephen knows, because he is no dummy, Stephen knows that what he is about to say all right, what he is about to say will will be the end of him if he says it. But first, before we get there, let's look at what Stephen sees before we look at what Stephen says. It says here, he looked intently into heaven and he saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand. Now there's a lot of nuances here that are going on behind the scenes. God grants Stephen a little glimpse of heaven. Now, just a quick note here, and it won't go too far off the trail here. Stephen recognized Jesus. Stephen recognized him in his earthly body. So real quick, I just want to pull this out. Scripture seems to consistently tell us that we will recognize people in heaven. That we will recognize and know our loved ones above all else. He who we love with all of our heart, Jesus Christ. Because heaven is not heaven because there's no sin there. Heaven isn't heaven because there is no pain or no tears or all of that stuff as true as it may be. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. Give me Jesus. Amen? That's heaven. And the longer I'm on this earth, give me heaven. The presence of Jesus. Would you want to go to heaven if Jesus wasn't there? That will will really reveal where we are in our walk with Christ. Now, here's an interesting note. Almost all the times that the New Testament Scriptures talks about Jesus being in heaven, almost always and exclusively, Jesus is seated. He's not standing. We have a contrast here. Jesus is normally always pictured as seated at the right hand of God. There's some verses right there. There's a lot more. And what it does is theologically and soteriologically, it indicates that the work of salvation is done. How many here, after a long day of work, just fall into that lazy boy and go, oh, there it is. The day is over. Now, those of you who have a desk job, try to not sit, all right? But the principle is the same. The work of salvation is complete. It is done. He is seated. It is finished. So why is Jesus standing here? There's a question. Now, many theologians offer many options, but there are three consistent reasons. And while I think all of them have merit, I'll give you just three real quick, with the most likely being last and the least probable being first. First of all, one that comes up often is Jesus is moving to aid and encourage Stephen who's facing rejection right now. Okay, that's a possibility. Jesus, the second one, Jesus is standing to show concern for Stephen and to welcome him to heaven. 
Okay, that's a, that's a possibility. But the most likely one is this. Jesus is standing as the judge, and he is in agreement with Stephen's testimony as to who he is. But for whatever the reason it is, Stephen is not going to get out of this alive. That is a certainty. All right, Stephen is not going to get out of life. Now, we talked about what he is about to say. He knows very well, as a Hellenistic Jew, that what he is about to say will get him killed. He knows that without a shadow of a doubt. Unless there is some sort of supernatural or providential intervention here, he knows what he's about to say is going to seal his fate. And what Stephen needs to do is just keep his, finish the sentence, keep his mouth what? Shut. Even a fool is considered wise if he what? Shuts up, all right? That's why I try to say as little as possible in meetings, all right? Have you ever said this to yourself? I just need to keep my mouth shut. I say this a lot to myself. Now, let us not forget what uh, little detail here that is not in the text, but it was in the text two times before this. Let us not forget that Stephen's faith, face is shining like an angel at this very moment as well. As they say, you reject Moses, his face is glowing just like Moses' face was glowing when he came down from Sinai. We see that in the text here. All who were sitting in the council saw that Stephen's face was that of a face of an angel. We find that in verse 15 of, of Acts chapter 6. Or 7. Is it 7 or 6? Let me find out. Let me find because that's going to bug me. 7 verse 6. Uh, no, it was, I think it was 6. Was it 6? Let's find out. Where's 15? Is it 6? Nailed it. All right. Now, why my brain? I should have kept my mouth shut is what I should have done. Now, if Stephen had any friends in that room right now, they would have been saying, Stephen, keep your mouth shut. Let your face do the talking. Let your face shine. Let your mouth be dark. For what Stephen says next will be nothing less than blaspheme in the, in the most vile offense way to the Sanhedrin. You see, in the theological position of the Sanhedrin, no one has the right to be next to the side of God in, in God's heavenly presence. No one has the right to be right next to God's heavenly presence. Whether it is to be seated or whether it is to be standing next to Yahweh is to be equal with God and that is unadulterated blasphemy. We'll see that to be true in their response when they plug their ears, scream at the top of their lungs and, 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 and run at him. And that word to rush him is an interesting word. To sit next to the presence of God is to proclaim blasphemy. So let me just address one more exciting, nerdy detail that will pop and for what we're about to see here, all right? So what I want to go, I want to go back just a few weeks uh, from this point in time when Jesus was standing in front of the Sanhedrin for the sin of being accused of blasphemy. Stephen is in front of the Sanhedrin being accused with blasphemy. Jesus is in front of the Sanhedrin being accused with blasphemy. And, and and I want to go back to when Jesus was in front of them. 
And they are about to execute Jesus or, or convince Pilate to, to crucify him. And they said this to Jesus. Now grab this little detail, little nerdy detail, because it's going to help pop what's going on. We're going to understand why they are so torn asunder, why they are cut in half and they're filled with rage, because what they are about to hear has echoes of what Jesus said just a few weeks ago. They said this, speaking to Jesus a few weeks ago, and the high priest said to Jesus, I implore you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus looked at the very same Sanhedrin, being accused of the very same sin, blasphemy. Jesus said to him, and Jesus knew when he said this, that this would be it. Stephen knows that what he is about to say will be it. And Jesus says this, You will see the Son of Man at the right hand in the power of the glory of God coming in the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore their robes and said he has blasphemed. Why? The right hand, the right side, next to an equal with God. Grab that, that title Jesus used for himself, the Son of Man at the right hand. This is a title that Jesus used only for himself. Jesus used this only for himself. No one used this title other than Jesus Christ. And it is this title that he used before the Sanhedrin killed him. And let us remember that Stephen was not there. Likely, Stephen was not even a follower of Christ at the time that Jesus was crucified. Likely, he is not a believer. He has no knowledge of this moment. He was not in the room when this happened. He, was even, he wasn't even in Jerusalem at that time, possibly, all right? He wasn't there when Jesus was in front of the Sanhedrin. Now, bring this forward. Jesus says the Son of Man, a title for Himself, is going to be at the right hand and the power of His heavenly Father. Now, pick that out of like, I don't know, four, five, six weeks ago. Pick that up, that title and that position, and dump it into this moment, all right? And we're going to time back in. And Stephen, being given a glimpse of the glory of heaven while having a face that is shining like an angel. How many here would just said, I think we should leave this guy alone. Anyone at all? Anyone just there? Your spidey senses are tingling. I think we ought to leave this guy alone. At least Pilate's wife had some spidey senses. Amen? Have nothing to do with this man. I want to tell you what. If you were brought into church discipline here at Trinity and your face was glowing like an angel, I'm going out of the room. All right? We're done. You're right, I'm wrong. Stephen, in this position, says, I see the heavens open up, and I see who? What's the title he uses? The Son of Man. He uses the very title that Jesus used. He uses as he sees it. He's not done. Where does he see the Son of Man? At the what? The right hand. This is the title that only Jesus used for himself. Now imagine you're the Sanhedrin, and Stephen, who was not in the room, who did not hear these things, says the right hand and the Son of Man. The hairs on your neck would not be standing. They would be screaming at this point in time. Stephen has just verified 
He's just verified right in front of them that Jesus is exactly where he said he would be with the title that he said that he had. In the very location where he would be, these words would have been like a dagger to the sawed open, uncircumcised heart of these spiritually elite, candy-coated shell of religious people. You killed the Son of Man who sits at the right or stands at the right hand of God. Truly, this would have torn them completely open. And you can see what came out. Because the primary question is, are we like Stephen or are we like the Sanhedrin? Because both are claiming a relationship with God. So, so how do we tell? Oh, I like this here. I like this. It would have torn them in two. And we can see what comes out of them. It says this. They shouted with loud voices and covered their ears and rushed him in one mind. There's so much here. The word rushed here is the same word that is used when pigs were filled with demons and rushed off the cliff. It was just boom. It was a rage. It was a frenzy. They were absolutely filled with anger. It's the same word that was used for possessed pigs in Mark chapter 5. They covered their ears while screaming. Have you ever, have you ever been immature enough to go, nah, I'm not hearing anyone at all? Of course not. We just do it differently now. We just bring up the web pages of whyimright.com and we play tennis with our positions. They plug their ears, they cover their ears, and they scream like a bunch of possessed pigs. What comes out? When we're bumped. They're screaming, they're covering their ears. And you want to know why they did this? Because they're Talmud. Their Talmud, which, by the way, is just a manual written down for their ethics and customs around the Torah. We have that. We have that in different ways. Here's what the Bible says. Here's how we apply it. And if you don't apply it the way here, then we hold it up. And so the Talmud teaches that blaspheme must be stopped at the ears. So they're applying some, 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 some information here. It must be stopped at the ears because what enters the ears will eventually pervade the soul. So that's what they do. Now, there is some practical truth in this. It's not like this is necessarily a bad principle. Finish the statement. Garbage in what? Garbage out. Be careful what you are consistently dumping into your mind. Your soul. Your psyche. It's what you will become. That's why it is so important what it comes from the pulpits of the church. Politics, social agenda, ideology do not belong in the pulpit of the church. Amen? Because that's what the church will eventually become. And that is not our goal. Garbage in, garbage out. Here's some application. Young people. We've got a lot of young people over here. We've got some over here. We've got some online. Young people, now I want to be sure that I say this. This applies to all people, regardless of our age. 
But I want to speak specifically to young people and their parents and their grandparents, but especially to you guys, because yours is the first generation that has always had a smartphone in your hand. How many here love their smartphone but hate their smartphone? Anyone at all? You're like, I'm going to throw this away, but I can't. Because I'm addicted to it. (laughs) And my work needs me. And what would happen if I couldn't track the whereabouts of the location of the GPS spot of my kids every seven minutes? You got some issues, all right? How many here remember when you left the house, your parents didn't know where you were until you either rolled up or the police officer called them? Anyone at all? But yours is a generation, for good or for bad. Not beating up on you here, though I will say that Mine is the greatest generation. All right, I'm joking. First time in life where your whole life you've had these things available to you, social media, etc. So I want to be very relevant and specific here to this real life truth, whether it be short videos on talk and tick. (laughs) Or Instachat or Snapgram or Twitter. Or the World Wide Web Network. What you fill your ears and eyes with will affect your heart and soul. And that goes for all of us. In fact, it is the reason Scripture says, and one of the reasons it is imprinted in the Talmud, On your word, O Lord, will I meditate, what? Day and night. Because garbage in, garbage out. Truth in, truth out. You become what you take in the most. Here's the question. What are we filling our heads with? Now, what I want you to see here is this. They cover their ears. They shout out loud. They rush like demon-possessed pigs full of rage. And they went berserk at Stephen, especially after he said the words, the Son of Man seated at the right hand. Because not only is that blasphemy, but that proves what Jesus said was right. Now why is this important? Because it will help us understand what happens next. And here is, I got the hiccups, so just deal with it, alright? It's an added effect. When they had driven him out of the city, because we've got to give the pretense of legality here, don't we? got to make sure it appears like where you're not allowed to kill someone within the city limits. That's why Jesus was killed outside of Jerusalem. All right? This is against the law. So let's, let's break the law in a way that gives the appearance of the law. How many are glad we don't do that today? Amen? Let's give the appearance of loving God while we actually love ourselves. And they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man, probably in his late 20s to early to mid-30s. His name was Saul. Oh, we're going to pack that tonight. If you got time, we got time. Everyone's sick. Sun's not out. Let's just do this tonight together, all right? They went on stoning Stephen. As he called out to the Lord, he said, Lord, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees with a loud voice. Forgive them. They know not what they do. Having said this, he died. We'll unpack that word, fell asleep tonight. What I want you to see here is that this is nothing less than a rioting mob justice. There's nothing legal about this. This is just mob justice. Or, as we know it today, 
a peaceful protest outside the city wall. Putting new labels on things doesn't make it right. They went berserk. They went berserk at Stephen. The Sanhedrin has no authority to commence capital punishment without Roman approval. John chapter 18, verse 31. They have no authority to do that. Hence, when Jesus was crucified, they needed Pilate to sign off on it. Their action was illegal. Their action was brutal. Their action was immoral. Their actions were emotionally driven. And they simply did not care. They were torn open and they were filled with rage. This is mob justice exacting itself outside of the law. Everything about this moment is not how it should be done according to Roman law. And here it is, even Jewish law. They're even acting outside of their own Jewish law. The Mishnah required that they followed a proper stoning procedure. How about that? A proper way to kill someone by throwing stones at them. How many here could say, you know, the heart of man can be a little wicked. Anyone at all? I understand you killed him, but did you kill him the right way? Check this out. How many witnesses do you need for, to accuse someone of capital punishment? How many witnesses? This is in Deuteronomy. It's the same thing you need in Matthew 18 when we do church discipline. You need one witness, two witnesses. First of all, a formal verdict by vote of the Sanhedrin had to be done. We know this didn't happen. They're rushing like pigs covering their ears and screaming. So unless that is the proper voting procedure according to Robert's rules of order, it did not happen. Number two, the Mishnah required that the first person uh, the, at the first, the person must be pushed off a cliff of a minimum of 10 feet. That's how you began stoning. You would find something at least 10 feet tall, and you would go, the Lord wills it. All right? Kaboom. Now, if that did not kill the person, you then would commence the next stage of stoning. How many here are going, this is changing my life? If the 10 foot or plus did not kill him, the first witness would then drop a large boulder onto their chest, seeking to crush their, their chest and lungs and windpipe. And if that didn't work, oh, how many here are like, thank God it's 2022? Anyone at all? If that didn't work, the second witness, let he who is without sin drop the first stone, throw the first stone. The second witness would then, after the first witness didn't crush their chest, would drop another boulder near their head. And after that, if those 10 foot, one, two witnesses, all of that didn't seal the deal, then the rest of the mob could join in. We also know that they didn't fear Pilate. They have political clout over Pilate. They own him. They did not follow the prescribed manner of burial after Stephen died. We find that in Acts chapter 8. My point in bringing all of these details up is none of this is legal. It is mob, rage, possessed pigs, torn open, rage. In fact, this wasn't the last time the Sanhedrin would illegally kill someone outside of Roman authority. Josephus wrote, and we know from church history, that Jesus' half-brother James was thrown off the highest point of the temple wall. Had to be higher than 10 feet, right? 
They took Stephen to the highest point of the, or not Stephen, James, the brother of Jesus, to the highest point, and they pushed him off. He fell, and it did not kill him. We know through church history, the, the, the Jewish people then picked up clubs and beat him to death. Josephus writes this. Early first century Jewish historian says this. They was executed by the Jews, and it made many of the Jews nervous about usurping Roman authority over capital punishment. We find that in the antiquities. The whole execution is nothing short than pure mob justice and murder. Now, here's why I bring it up. A, I'm a nerd. But number two, here's why I bring it up. They accuse Stephen of breaking the law. Do they not? They accuse Stephen of breaking the law, of, of violating God, Moses, and the temple, while they, and this is so huge right here, they violate the law of God in the temple of God by breaking commandment number one, commandment number six, commandment number nine, and commandment number ten of the Ten Commandments. Here's why I bring this all up. All of that, that white noise, I want you to hear this, and I want you to take what you hear, and I want you to press it against your heart and mine. Here it is spiritually uncircumcised, let me put it another way, religious hearts do not care about obeying God when they are cut open. Religious people do not care about obeying God when they are cut open. And with that being said, and truth be told, the Sanhedrins are not the only ones being cut open at this time. There is someone else being cut open, literally. There is a young man in his 30s being torn right, wide open right now, literally. Both groups claim to be right with God. Who then is telling the truth? I would say the one that is bleeding out the fruit of the Spirit is the one right with God. And look at what is spilling out of Stephen. Look at what's spilling out of Stephen. Don't let it escape you. Stephen is not hit with Nerf balls thrown at him from children. It took a lot to kill someone with stones. Stoning someone to death as young and healthy as Stephen is not easy. It is a long, exhausting exhibit of energy, strength, and hate. So long that Stephen's holding a conversation with the Lord while he's being stoned. So physical was this moment that the Sanhedrin had to lay aside their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. About five minutes, ten minutes into speaking today, I took my cloak off because I want some freedom, all right? They take their cloaks off because they need to throw the stones as large as they can find them, as hard as they could. That's why the cloaks are being taken off. Now, don't emotionally turn away from this moment. We are almost done. Take all this stuff we've studied the last two pages and don't let it just become an intellectual and academic exercise. Take it all with you and don't emotionally, because these are real things happening, don't emotionally turn away from this moment. I want you to look at it. Can you see them fire stones at Stephen? Over and over and over again. His, his chest, he can barely breathe. That first stone must have done some damage. The falls, the more damage. If they did all of that stuff, which we know they didn't, they're throwing these large stones. 
They hit his chest. They hit his ribs. They hit his kidneys. They throw him at his knees, his head. Do you see, Stephen? Here it is. I don't want you to look away. Do I want you to see the teeth that are missing in this man's mouth. The blood and the saliva that connects his mouth with the, with the ground. Unable to, to see out of his eyes. His ears are ringing loudly. And what is inside of Stephen's heart is spilling out as much as the water and blood that the stones are exacting. What falls out of Stephen? He calls out to the Lord and he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Another rock rips through the air and hits his ear and, and, and his cheek. And it says he falls to his knees. And with his last breath, he cries out, Lord, forgive them. Don't hold it against them. You want to know what fell out of Stephen? What fell out of Stephen was not political activism. What fell out of Stephen was not politics from the right or the left. Stephen didn't have a t-shirt on that said, Let's go Sanhedrin! Look at the prayers of Stephen. When Jesus was being killed, he cried out. Look at what Jesus did. When he was being killed on the cross, he said, Father, receive my spirit. Luke chapter 23. When Jesus was dying at the hands of the same Sanhedrin, he cried out, Father, forgive them. 23.34. You want to know what fell out of Stephen? Stephen prayed for the same forgiveness of his own executioners that Jesus prayed for his. You want to know what fell out of Stephen? Here's what fell out of Stephen. What fell out of Stephen was the mind and heart of Jesus Christ. And now we see a contrast. We see rage. We see hate. We see vengeance. We see selfishness. And we see the mind of Jesus Christ. Oh, let this mind be in you that which was also in Jesus Christ, who being obedient to the point of death on the cross. He was obedient to death on the cross, not so that everyone could become a Republican or everyone could become a Democrat or socially woke or that our way of life could be preserved, but rather that every person may know that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God the Father who is to be praised forever and ever and ever. The reason I have breath in my lungs is to bring glory to the name of an almighty God. That is why we exist. I'm so tired of those demanding that the church treat, preach politics from the pulpit. I receive letters every week on how I should preach about the importance of vaccinations. From people who don't even go to this church. I have people who think I should preach about the evils of vaccinations. Let me just tell you that. I don't want to preach about any of that stuff. Let us preach Jesus Christ. 
We don't need more politics from the pulpit or self-help themes. We don't need the right or the left of people's ideology coming from our, our lips and our lives. We don't need today's newest psychological pop theories dripping from our thoughts. What we need is Jesus Christ and Him crucified emerging from our hearts and our hands spilling out of us even when we are torn. Here's some questions and we'll close. Let me ask you some questions. What falls out of you when you are cut to the quick? Are we Stephen or are we the Sanhedrin? What fell out of you when Donald Trump was elected? What fell out of you when Joe Biden was elected? What falls out of us when others hurt us? What falls out of us when our way of life is touched? Stephen's way of life is being touched. What falls out of us when our desires are not met? And what, pray tell, will fall out of us if we are actually persecuted for His name's sake? My friends, which group describes us? The Sanhedrin, shiny spiritual outer shell that dismisses the law of God in the moment we are touched. Or Stephen, who when torn open, all they see is the fruit of spirit and the mind of Christ. Many of us may have been torn open with this message today. I know I have. I have so much work to do in my life. And maybe... You have been torn open just a little bit too. Here's the question. What will fall out of you this afternoon, tomorrow, and this week? And the moment is now here. This persecution and this topic will forever separate Judaism from Christianity. This is the fork in the road, folks. This is the topic that separates Judaism and Christianity, the glory and honor that Jesus Christ receives. What is glorious to a Christian, the divinity of Jesus Christ. What is glorious to us is blasphemy to Judaism. These two views cannot be more conflicting. And the church will now leave Jerusalem. And it will be scattered through Judea and Samaria. We now enter a stage of the church moving out of the world. The first stop is Judea. And even those socially recognized dogs that live in Samaria. Oh truly, the church is for all. What a covenant we have in Jesus. And with that, Stephen, like a seed that dies and falls to the ground, will produce amazing fruit. You see, through Stephen's death, we get Paul. The coats are at his feet. Paul is listening to Stephen's sermon. He's listening to his prayers. He's standing right there. It was Augustine who said this, if Stephen had not fallen, the church would not have Paul. 
Church, what falls out of you? Are we like Stephen? Or are we like the Sanhedrin? Gracious Heavenly Father, may your mind be in us. May we love those who hate us. Pray for those who persecute us. May we be kind to those who curse us. Father, I pray this in your son's precious name. And while your heads are still bowed, we're going to move into communion with one another. If there's anyone here you have broken fellowship with, I ask that you make a commitment to make it right with them before you partake of this. This is not a religious activity we are doing. This is precious uniting of the body of Christ. And we will not mock it by taking it while divided. Our salvation is too precious. If there's any sin in your life, take this moment to confess that. Make a commitment to fight and rid and repent of that.